Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. JT, as we're back with you, hour number two of the show, and it's brought to you by Iole, our new premium uh, tequila here in town. I keep saying vodka and tequila. It's tequila. Iole, the new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila with the smooth taste. Iole is the official tequila of the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio, and it's the official tequila of the Henderson Silver Knights Looking forward to having a tequila on the rocks. Ihole. You'll be hearing a lot about that as we continue. So there is breaking news tonight. Minneapolis sports has been canceled due to another shooting that killed an individual there in the city. And uh, there's a lot of people upset, unhinged, triggered, whatever word you want to use. And it's the big story as Red Sox and Twins have been canceled. Also the Nets at the Wolves. So that is a big storyline as we speak tonight, and this is a big deal. Also, the Wild, the hockey game was canceled. So all of this news just breaking here in the next in the last hour. Very serious storylines as we lead with that. If you're just joining us, the Twins, the Timberwolves, and the Wild all postponed games tonight following the police shooting of Dante Wright on Sunday night. Quote, out of the respect for the tragic events that occurred yesterday in Brooklyn Center and following the additional details in the evolving situation, the Twins have decided it's in the best interest of the fans, staff, and the community to not play tonight. So that game is canceled, and it's a big deal. The decision to postpone the game was made by the Twins and the Wolves in the NBA and now the NHL. Tensions were already high in the city. Uh, due to the ongoing trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer charged with the murder of George Floyd. Uh, protesters are expected to be out again tonight, where the police had to come out in full force last night and disperse the protesters. It seems like they're expecting the same thing tonight. So that's my job to tell you about this. This is when politics or violence, gun violence, whatever it is, affects sports. And it happens, and it's a very important topic, and I'm sure athletes in all of these major sports are going to talk about it. And that's it. And I support their decision to do this. I support, I want safety to be a priority for everyone involved at a sporting event, and that's the way it should be. Imagine if every Bulls and White Sox and Cubs game was canceled every time an innocent young boy, innocent young boy was shot on the streets of Chicago right? Violence, violence. But what happens is some people protest and they should protest. Others don't. Others get used to random gun violence in certain cities and in other cities like Minneapolis, which is a tinderbox as we sit here today. And it has been for a while. Everyone in that community is making a decision on safety for the fans and fans leaving their home or to watch the game or for the athletes getting there and all that. So that's where we stand tonight on this topic, which is a big one, and that is the breaking news of the day. We'll get to the Golden Knights a little bit later on, and also 
I want to get into Hideki Matsuyama winning the Masters. You know, in Vegas, I talk about NASCAR because we have two races here. Huge for the economy. Massive. And no matter where you're driving and listening to me right now, within either 100 yards or a mile from where you are right at this moment, there's a golf course or many. And Vegas is a big golf town. So Matsuyama winning, I had a guest and a couple of callers last night. We talked about it a little bit. And we have a golf guest coming up later in the show. Could bring a billion dollars, a billion dollars to Matsuyama in future earnings because he delivered a country, the country of Japan and the Far East, a major, the first one ever, and it was the Masters. So the amount of money he's going to make going forward is absolutely incredible. Amazing. And look, I don't root for him. He's not a guy that I root for all the time, but I have no problem with him winning. He's a great golfer. He's been on the tour a long time, and a lot of people are happy for him, and it's going to do wonders for the sport. Also, the Golden Knights acquire Matthias Janmark from the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the top ten forwards in all of hockey, for a scoring punch into the trade deadline here. So they get him from the Blackhawks with and a fifth-round pick in exchange for a second-round selection in the 2021 NHL entry draft and a third-round selection in 2022. The Golden Knights are also sending a fifth-round selection to the 2022 NHL early draft, originally belonging to Buffalo, to San Jose in exchange for defenseman Nick DeSimone. So two moves from the Vegas Golden Knights to get better. They bring in a top forward, and we'll keep an eye on that move. That is a big deal. I think tomorrow... I've reached out to the Golden Knights. They're going to get us one of their broadcasters, and we'll recap the trade deadline and get into all of that. So there's a lot happening here as we get you ready for the Raiders draft, which is coming up in a few weeks. All I can tell you is I know that we'll be broadcasting Thursday and Friday. Thursday we'll be live from Allegiant Stadium, and I'm excited to be in the building with some fans, the ones who are able to attend and be there and see some energy with some Raider fans. Really looking forward to that as that is right around the corner. All right, our next guest is ready. Max Brown played college football at Pitt and USC, and now he's a college football analyst for Stadium, one of the experts that I wanted to have on to talk about the quarterback position going forward and how that could help the Raiders by shortening the draft. Max, good to talk to you again. Appreciate you coming on. How you been? Hey, great to talk to you as well, JT. Doing well and uh, pumped to talk a little, uh, little quarterbacks with you today. Absolutely. I really am excited about this because before we get to the draft, I want to get your opinion on what's going on with Sam Darnold. I just don't sense that Matt Rule, this was his dream to come to the NFL and have to restart and rebuild Sam Darnold and or Teddy Bridgewater. So do you think that Carolina made that move to leave him alone and let him be the franchise quarterback or do they have expectations of maybe a quarterback coming up in the draft? Yeah, I think they're uh, they're all in on Sam Darnold at least for this mm-hmm. year. Um, I think it's no secret that in terms of uh, Sam's not a rookie anymore, so it's, it's time for him to produce. And I think his leash is is shorter than where it may have been a year or two ago, kind of thing. But everything that I read and see, I feel like the Panthers are all in on Sam Darnold. I think they realize how big of a nightmare it was in New York for Sam and the lack of talent he had around him, and you see the glimpses of of great quarterback play from Sam, and obviously he's got to clean up the turnovers. But I think if you're uh, Joe Brady, your rule, you're, you're thinking, hey, we, if we get this guy and some pieces around him, we've got a great back, 
um, get get a running game in his favor. That he is still young enough. He's still only 23. That uh, we get him going down the right track. That uh, his best football is ahead of him. And I, I certainly agree with uh, with that thought process in terms of uh, taking a chance on Sam and uh, getting the pieces around him to help him uh, find some success. What do you think is the biggest turnaround that Darnold needs to make? Because the Jets had a lot of problems, and it wasn't all, all on Sam. But if he's working in the offseason, if Matt Rule wants to get something fixed or tweak something, what would that be? Yeah, it's got to be the turnovers. And to me, the reason the turnovers are happening is because when you turn on the film, it feels like Sam's having to play Superman mode and mm-hmm. uh, have to be hero ball mode every single possession. And I think especially when you walk into a Panthers office who ha- uh, offense who has one of the best running backs in the NFL, you don't necessarily have to be like that. And with Sam and the Jets, every time they're, they're walking out in the field for a new possession, if Sam isn't playing lights out, the Jets probably aren't going to score. Well, nowadays with the Panthers, assuming they can get some things in the right direction, that's not necessarily the case. They don't need Sam to be absolutely perfect every single time. You can have Sam do a three-yard check down, McCaffrey makes a guy miss, and then they're, they're going up for a, for, for a big gain. And so I think overall it's cleaning up the turnovers, but it's a byproduct of just a mental switch for Sam of like, hey, I don't need to be the absolute hero in, in, in savior mode. Let me just go out there and play football and kind of stay uh, within the game as much, but to also uh, kind of get back to some of the, the, the flair and, and confidence that, we, uh, that people were so excited to, about Sam Donald with when he was coming out of, uh, out of USC. Former SC quarterback Max Brown joins us with Stadium and SiriusXM. As we move on to the draft prospects, I think we're good with Trevor Lawrence. What's fascinating to me is where Zach Wilson goes. If the Jets, it seems like the Jets are completely sold on this, I would think, unless Justin Fields blows them away on tape or something you see with Trey Lance, Steve Young leaked to the media that the Jets were recruiting Zach's family to try to get him on board because they're going to go down that road. Are you a Zach Wilson guy over Justin Fields, or do you like Fields going number two? I like Zach Wilson over Fields. Uh, okay. To me, the, the tiers for me are Trevor Lawrence at tier one and then Zach uh, Wilson in tier two by himself. And then at tier four, um, I would take Fields as the top guy there, but then you go Fields, Jones, Lance, and then I would even throw – Kyle Trask in there, which a lot of people are not putting him in that uh, that next year. All those guys, I could see uh, at least be a solid starter in the NFL. But to me, there is certainly a gap between Fields and Wilson at this stage. When you turn on Wilson, uh, Wilson's film, he is asked to do absolutely everything, whether it's under center, play action, the pure progression, deep balls, quick game, all of that. Wilson uh, excels at a high level versus and obviously we're splitting hairs here. All the quarterbacks are great. They were elite college quarterbacks. But when I turn on the film for a Justin Field, some of the processing speed, some of the getting the ball out of his hand, it's little things, um, but little things become big things in the NFL. So I do have some concerns there a little bit. But with Zach Wilson, uh, talk about a jump. I mean, I've been following that, that guy for three years. Where he was mm-hmm. at as a true sophomore at BYU to where he's at now, what a climb he's made. No quarterback's. Uh, more thankful that they got a college football season in 2020 than Zach Wilson. And uh, I think deservingly so, he's going to find himself uh, called there right to, at the number two pick uh, in that coming draft. College football analyst Max Brown is our guest. Max, it's really interesting to me with Mac Jones because he played in the biggest games. His athletes were better by a long shot than most of the teams he played, other than Clemson and the, the elite teams in the top four. 
and he was throwing guys open, but guys were going to get open anyway. And I'm fascinated by this topic for our Bay Area listeners. If Kyle Shanahan believes in him that much, because that's got to be more of Kyle's call than John Lynch, a Hall of Fame safety, on what they're doing at the quarterback position. And if Kyle Shanahan doesn't get it right and they go with Mac Jones, man, that sure puts him on the hot seat. i got to think of the next two or three years. Is it worth the risk for the 49ers to take him at three? I do not think it is. Uh, and, and it's because, not that I don't think he won't find success in the NFL, but it's just because the ceiling on, on Mac Jones is only so high. You don't trade the farm. You don't trade that much to go get uh, a relatively low-ceiling prospect when you, when you compare him to the other first-round draft picks. But Shanahan's had some magic, and if he loves the intangibles of Mac Jones, sure, if you find your guy, you've got to go get it. But uh, as a former pocket passer myself, I got nothing but love for a Mac Jones-type player, but I just don't think it's worth trading that many resources to go get a guy that, I mean, it's not like it is extremely flashy. All the points that you raised in terms of the help he had around him, um, the potential concerns about, yes, he's an older guy, but he hasn't played a ton of football necessarily. So a lot of those things, to trade that much up and, and get him at three when there are other quarterbacks on the board, it's a head-scratcher for me, but it's, it's one of those things that I won't be surprised if we see his name called either there or shortly thereafter just because, as we all know, um, quarterbacks only, only rise in the, uh, the final weeks uh, leading up to the draft. Max Brown, as we wrap it up. So that's interesting. So then I think you would agree from what you told me where you have fields slotted along with Trey Lance and the other quarterbacks that if the Niners don't get Trevor Lawrence and obviously Zach Wilson – they're reaching big because if those two guys are gone, the Niners are sitting there with a pick that you're not in love with, and I don't think a lot of their fans are in love with. So why, do, why are they doing it with Jimmy Garoppolo? They don't think they can keep Jimmy Garoppolo healthy enough, and they have to give away all of this just to move up to number three. That, to me, is big risk-reward in this draft. I don't think enough people are talking about it, and Kyle Shanahan seems like he's all in. So in your rankings of these quarterbacks, it seems like you'll have it as a reach. Well, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I agree with every word you said right there. I think it's kind of slotted one, two, and then from three it gets a little gray. But after that, I mean, it is a big reach. And that, to me, is if you feel like you are reaching for a quarterback, there are some other players out there. I mean, I, I do a lot of work in the Pac-12. I mean, Panay Sewell's as good of a tackle that's come out of the West Coast in a very long time. I mean, if you want to help Jimmy G, you want to better your offense, that's the direction that I would go, and maybe you can find an answer uh, in a different avenue for quarterback if Jimmy G doesn't work out. But I agree with what you said in terms of it's a reach uh, at that point, especially with the resources that, uh, that, 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 they, that they've put on the market kind of thing. And for a lot of those guys, a guy like Trey Lance, I mean, he's going to need time to develop. If Zach Wilson was thankful that he had a 2020 season, well, Trey Lance didn't. And I think that is a big deal in terms of, him not playing football last year, missed opportunity to grow. So he's a guy that I could need time to develop. How does a Mac Jones transition to the NFL when, like we've talked about, he doesn't have that help and it might be tough sledding early on. A lot of these quarterbacks, um, just like it is every single year, you kind of have to have the right scenarios around them and uh, the right timing around them. And for the, that, that tier three quarterback, as I uh, referenced it, mm-hmm. those guys feel like a stretch in the uh, to me in the mid-single-digit uh, picks in this NFL draft. 
Hey, Max, finally, when we look at the draft coming up here, the theme that I've had, which I think I've nailed over the last month, is all these teams are running up to get a quarterback where a lot of these quarterbacks would not even go. I wouldn't pick Mac Brown, uh, Mac Jones ahead of Lamar Jackson, and he went 32nd in the first round. So I think there's a panic on. I think if they look at the next class, they don't see five. They might see one or two, and I get it. So what I think is going to happen in the draft, that the, the draft's going to start after the fifth quarterback is taken at 8, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then there's going to be a whole bunch of great players, position players, they're going to start off from the 10th or 11th pick on. Other teams are going to benefit from that. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I'm in total agreement. And to bring our conversation full circle, exactly what you said, teams are sensing, hey, I'm reaching, I'm reaching. These quarterbacks are climbing. I think that's why the Panthers look themselves in the mirror and say, all right, uh, they're drafting at 8, if I'm not mistaken. Let's, we can get Sam Darnold. That's a better piece than a Mac Jones, than a Trey Lance, than a um, – uh, a Kyle Trask type type guy, not that he's going to go that high, but that's the decision they have to make. So I think the Panthers are in, uh, in agreement with you, as uh, as am I. But, yeah, outside of those quarterbacks, some elite playmakers. I already mentioned uh, Panay Sewell. Kyle Pitts is as unique, as um, valuable, I think, as a, playmaker, as a playmaker as we've seen come out of the draft in a very, very long time. Is he a uh, – glorified receiver or is he just a, a very unique tight end weapon i don't know but you uh, a, an offensive corner like a kyle shanahan has to look at a kyle pitts and say man that would be fun to scheme some plays for him so there are guys up at the top of the draft i think we're, we're both in agreement in terms of after that first cut you start stretching for quarterbacks and uh it'll be very interesting to see how the uh, the, the dominoes fall on draft day and max last one i read the story in the seattle times about you and we've talked about your story from being the best high school quarterback in the country, a five-star recruit, to doing what you're doing now. And, you know, it wasn't an NFL career of some of the legends that are out there, but you've been sharing this story for a while. And I didn't like the title from number one to bust because I don't use that word. You've had this incredible life, and it's just starting out professionally in your new business and all of this. How do you talk about this when people ask you about your career, your high school career, college career, and where you're at today? Can you sum it up for us? I can, and I appreciate you referencing that article. Yeah, it was a cool piece in the Seattle Times in terms of those that uh, know me just as the analyst. Uh, the previous life was uh, was a top quarterback. I was the number one quarterback in the in the country in the class of 2013, so that's Jared Goff, that's Baker Mayfield, that's Josh Allen. I can remember going to camps with Jared Goff and Humbly, I was getting the offers while Jared Goff uh, wasn't necessarily. And obviously, uh, he had the last laugh, and he's an NFL starting quarterback. But, um, yeah, I sum up my career as I had a fairy tale childhood career. Won three state titles as the Gatorade National Player of the Year. Uh, was, yeah, like I said, top quarterback in the country. Went to USC. Lost some competition battles. Stuck it out. Got a few college degrees along the way. Was a captain mm-hmm. at both SC and Pitt. Kind of chipped away, but... Uh, things didn't work out for me, and I've kind of channeled that uh, that mojo and that work to uh, broadcasting and uh, also involved in real estate a little bit, do some work for USC, Pac-12 Network, Sirius XM, uh, and trying to trying to find the, the, the post-football chapter, stay involved in the game, and uh, still kind of chipping away at it. But, uh, no, I appreciate you referencing that article and anyone else that, uh, that took the time to read it as well. 
Yeah, and I'm retweeting it, and again, uh, keep chipping away because you've accomplished much more than chipping away. It is a great life. It's in progress, and as I always said, happened with me, once one door opens, you go through it. You don't have to know what's on the other side. Keep taking these great opportunities, and you're going to do big things. Always appreciate talking to you, Max. All the best. We'll try to recap the draft with you in a couple weeks. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it, and uh, thanks for having me on. You got it. There he is. Appreciate him coming on. A very good analyst who has a nice career in front of him as a broadcaster. Appreciate Max coming on with us. And check out, check out the article that I retweeted. And it's really interesting. When you look at what he's doing and what he's been able to accomplish, Max Brown, and it's easy to follow him on Twitter. Just go to Max Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E-4. And... It's unique. I'm fascinated by this topic because I've been in sports radio coming on 25 years. And the word bust, I'm very careful at using that. I'm very careful at using the word choke. Because if you never played professionally or in college, you don't want to say that about amateur athletes and pros. But people who take advantage of it and whatever, there are issues with pro athletes that they take advantage of their situation and they're pros and adults. And in sports radio, come on. I'm not going to be the only guy who doesn't use the word choke or bust, but you got to use it in the right context. And Max Brown has had a really unique and outstanding life as a human being. The Gatorade High School Player of the Year, three-time state champion. For some people, they never get near that. He was the biggest rock star. He was the number one high school football quarterback in America. Fact, not fiction, in 2013. His life should not be judged by that. I'll give you the best example that I've had is Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. It's non-debatable. He won two national championships in a Heisman. Go back and see how many people have won a Heisman, let alone two national championships. So he didn't make it in baseball. He played in the NFL, won a playoff game, made money. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. I just talked to my buddy who's an agent to some of the biggest Hall of Fame football players combined one of the biggest agents and he was just down at tim tebow's gala that was in florida and tim brown got a hole in one at his golf event and my buddy told me i go what, what was it like with tebow he looked at me and said jt he's one of the biggest of the biggest of the biggest when tebow walks into a room everybody gets up and knows he's in the room he didn't have a career like tom brady or peyton manning but his life is so big and so enormous that he doesn't want to be describe this Tim Tebow at Florida, the Heisman Trophy winner. He could care less about that. He's doing things with kids with special needs. He's a broadcaster, his charity work. He speaks at churches. He's got this massive life, massive life. And some people literally call him a bust. Tim Tebow, a bust. He's one of these Mount Rushmore human beings who's got his whole life in front of him. Married a supermodel, giving half of his money away to charities, donating his time. So, look, Max was never Tim Tebow in college, but he was better than Tim Tebow in high school. And we should I don't want to be judged by what I did my first year in radio or my last year in radio. Well, I want to be judged by who I am to my wife and my sons. That's it. Nothing more. Well, he's unbelievable on the pre- and post-game show. His show, he outworked. I don't care. I care about my life outside of radio much more than my, my job and my career inside of radio. Who cares? We've all been written up in magazines and columns and blurbs here and there. I've done that my whole career. 
And it's meant something to me when it happened. But when you take a look at your life in general, if your life is defined by your high school quarterback years or winning the smack off or having this job or that job or your recent promotion, your life is really shallow. And I try to bring that up all the time when I talk to Ryan Leaf, Max Brown. We, we tie in Tim Tebow. You not Your life isn't going to be decided by what you did from the age of 16 to 17 or 30 to 31 or 54 to 55. Your life is going to be described by everything you did, everything you did in your life when you can put it all together. That's my goal, and I try to do that every day. I screw up five times a day before breakfast. I'm really good at apologizing, but I have a goal in life of how I want to be remembered and what I want people to think about me. And it's nice when they say great things on radio. It means a hundred times more to me when my friends introduce me at events and they talk about my friendship with them. That means more than anything. All right, we continue on with the show. Remember, it's all draft, but not completely all draft, but that's where my head's at. The insiders, the analysts, anybody who's talking about the draft, I'm all in on it as we continue on. JT, follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at JT the Brick. Line this up, make it roll, and he should make it. It's okay. <laughs> right down to the wire. Who predicted that by one? Matsuyama is Japan's first Masters champion. Jim Nance on the call with Sir Nick Faldo. We'll get to golf in a minute. Got to recap it. Vegas is a golf town, and Hideki Matsuyama winning the sport for a country. And we talked a lot about that on my show last night. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more today is when you have to win for a country, that's why the Olympics is so big. We wonder why do the Olympics get the great ratings and we love the Olympics because you're winning for your country. When you live for your, win for your alma mater, it's special. When you win for your football city, it's special. When you're competing for your country, oh my God, the amount of pressure that an athlete would be on amateur or professional when the weight of a country is on your back as you're trying to play golf uh, Dennis Paulson in a few minutes is going to join us he wrapped up his show this morning on Sirius XM he's a golf insider and the, uh, my go-to guy will check in with him there is breaking news the Patriots have terminated the contract of wide receiver Julian Edelman due to a failed physical and here's the deal everybody's throwing up these memes of guys getting injured, then miraculously recovering. Everybody knows Edelman's going to Tampa, right? He would definitely go to Tampa. Now, they have Scotty Miller, and Scotty Miller played slot receiver and won the Super Bowl. Remember, he had a big game against the Raiders in Vegas. But Edelman is probably the best player on the offensive side of the ball long-term, including Gronk and Randy Moss that have played with Brady. Brady had better chemistry with Edelman than he did with Gronk, who's going to the Hall of Fame because of Brady, and especially Randy Moss, Hall of Famer. Now, Edelman, you could debate, is arguably the best slot receiver of all time. Just a pure specialist slot. He won the, he won the Super Bowl against Atlanta when they were down 28-3 in that comeback, and he had that catch that almost hit the ground. If that, catch, that ball hits the ground, Patriots don't win. 
don't win, they turn over on downs, Atlanta runs the clock out or uses more clock and win that game. So Edelman has had an unbelievable career, and it brings me to Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro, everybody, has to be great. The Raiders do not need Hunter Renfro, and I'm a huge fan of his. I like Hunter, third and Renfro, who doesn't? I mean, he's a Raider. He's got to be more productive. He has to be. But again, the Raiders have the same issue as I talked about last year. There's only one football. Eric Allen picked up on that quickly on the pregame show. You'd say, JT, you say there's only one football. And in my world, with one football, if you're running between 50 and 60 plays, every game, Josh Jacobs would get 20 touches on the ground or in the air, right? So follow me here. There's 55 plays in a game, and you're a Raider fan. Because it just, I, mean, I talk about this often. You got to give Josh Jacobs 20. So say it's 18 carries and two passes. That's 20, and that could be on the low end. Darren Waller's got to be 10. Waller can't disappear and have a game where he has six targets and four receptions. He can't. He's not one of the best players in the league. So there's 30 plays out of 55 for Waller and Josh Jacobs. So Raider fans, where do you want the other 20 plays to go to? What do you want? Al Aguilar's gone. So how about you get a guy like Renfro to get seven or eight targets a game? You got to get Ruggs to get a minimum of seven to eight targets a game. I would like to see seven or eight receptions on 10 targets. So there's only one ball. Then you got Kenyon Drake coming in from Arizona, a really active running back who's going to get some touches. Then you look at the other wide receivers. You know, you bring in John Brown, you bring in other receivers, they got to touch the ball too. So there's only one football with the Raiders. And when it comes to Renfro, if Renfro could turn out to be, he was a better player than Edelman. Renfro caught the game-winning pass at a national championship game at Clemson. Edelman didn't do anything like that. And Edelman has built a Hall of Fame career. It's borderline. Now, look, Cliff Branch with three Super Bowls, right? There are players that we believe should be in. Go look at Edelman's numbers, and you tell me if you think Julian Edelman should get considered for the Hall of Fame. I think he should because of his playoff numbers on top of the regular season. And one other NFL story before we get to our golf guest recap in the Masters is that former Kansas City Chiefs assistant Britt Reed, son of Andy Reed, was charged with felony DWI. So this is Andy Reed's son, felony driving while intoxicated for his involvement in a car crash earlier this year that left a five-year-old girl critically injured. The prosecutor in Missouri filed the Class D felony charge earlier today stating that Reed, quote, operated a motor vehicle while under the influence of alcohol and acted with criminal negligence by driving at an excessive rate of speed. A lot of people wondering, well, what happened here? Where was he? Preparing for a game? How could this happen? The crash occurred February 4th when police said that Reed's truck slammed into two vehicles on the side of the highway entrance where this five-year-old girl was severely hurt. And this is a big deal. What was he doing before that? Right? What was he doing before that? At the test, Reed's blood uh, after the crash showed his blood alcohol concentration at 0.113 above the legal limit of 0.08, according to the probable cause statement. So he was day drinking and working, it looks like. Prosecutors announced that Reed, the son of Andy Reed, 
will turn himself and be booked today. And the prosecutors have requested a $100,000 bond and requested that Reed be placed on a GPS and alcohol monitoring device. What a sad story for Andy Reed and his family, but more sad for the family of that young girl who was hit. Real big storyline. Let's change gears. Matsuyami wins the Masters. Former PGA pro Dennis Paulson, kind enough to join us also with his show on PGA Tour Radio. Dennis, I hope you had a good weekend, hit some balls, and I'm sure watched a lot of the Masters. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I didn't have time to hit any balls. There's, there's no question that I was busy over the weekend with the pregame and watching and everything else. Uh, this weekend isn't about hitting balls. It's about watching balls, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I got I got to play a little and watch, and I, I thought it was a very interesting storyline because I said this, and I want to get right to my crux of this before we get into what it means to Matsuyama. I thought this would have been the type of leaderboard and the type of grouping that I thought a healthy Tiger Woods could win. I always had Tiger winning more majors on the back end. If completely healthy, he's not because of the car accident. But I know this is hard, but if we go back in the hot tub time machine and there was no accident, do you think this was the type of tournament with the conditions and the leaderboard where Tiger would have contended and maybe won? No, I agree with that slightly. I mean, the golf game had not been that good, but it was a course where if you just grind grind out pars early in the week, you were definitely going to be a factor. You know, everything shifted late in the day on Saturday with the change in the weather, and that's really where Matsuyama won the golf tournament when you really think about it. You know, with what Hideki did when he came back from the rain delay was pretty special. That was, you know, no one else really did that. There was some mini runs, but no one – put that epic thing together that he did. And it was a little bit more of survival, man. I mean, it really was. There mm-hmm. wasn't that much great golf played. Rom was the guy who really did something special, but he just started too far back. Dennis Paulson joins us. I agree with you. And he had to hold on to that lead. And on 15, when he went into the water, and it looked like the wheels were starting to come off a bit there, then we get Shoffley getting the triple, and that was shocking to me considering how accurate he could be with his irons and the position he was in there with an opportunity on 16. Walk me through that change and where it looked like there was really going to be some drama. Turned out there wasn't. Well, I was about ready to turn it off on 12 when when, uh, Zal Torres missed, you know, three-putted 10 and then did the same thing basically at 12 from just off the left edge of the green, didn't you know? And I was like, you're kidding me, really? Because I picked him at the beginning of the day. That's who I picked. He's going to surprise everybody, and he's going to get it done. And he played great, but the putter just wasn't there for him. And when Xander made that putt on 12, and, and uh, you know, I hung in there, as, uh, even though I said I was going to change the channel, there really wasn't anything to watch. The Padres were doing well for me in San Diego, so it wasn't that big a deal. Um, and I hung in there, and then when, when uh, Xander started making that run, and that's really where my heart was at, you know, to win, but – Man, what he did at 16, and, and, and that was probably one of the classiest interviews in the history of interviews yes. for a guy that lost the golf tournament. I mean, he's really a good dude, but I didn't know anybody could be that good a dude to, to act the way he did in that interview and really open up and tell everybody. Man, I just I don't know what happened, but we both didn't figure it out, and Austin and him were on the same page, and he said he absolutely flushed it, and it was, it was more than a half a club short. Probably a, not a full club, but – about a half, but man, that was just disappointing for him because he said he hit it where he wanted to, and you know he went through the whole thing. We don't need to talk about you know all the stuff. It would be better to 
you know, I'm going to put it in the memory banks and know that I need to hit a little cut shot out there to the right of the hole. It's a safer shot for me than the draw. But that was devastating for him to do that. And then he didn't get gusted, and that shot played a lot shorter, and he hit it over the green. He buttoned the second one, too, and that went over the green, and that led to the triple. And Matsuyama limped it in. I mean, he limped it in. But, hey, you know, bogey three of the last four to, uh, yeah. to win the golf tournament. That means that all that stuff that he did on Saturday meant that much more. You know, it's, it's the very first hole counts as much as the 72nd hole. Dennis Paulson's our guest. Check him out as always. His great show that he does on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. You know, Dennis, it's interesting. The last couple of years, Tiger getting the 10 on 12, Speed's meltdown on 12 a few years ago, Rory on 10, you know, hitting the ball to the house, and now Justin joins the list with this. There's sure been some dramatic bad holes. Can we throw Bryson in? I didn't watch every shot, but he puts balls in bushes and has some of these bad shots in a tournament where one or two bad decisions could lose you the tournament. I've noticed a lot more of it lately as an amateur golfer. How do you see it? <laughs> That's true. But when you hit a 340, a bad shot doesn't have to be that bad. Yeah. You know, that, that drive at 250 yards on the same line is just out of the fairway. And when it's at 330, it's, you know, over some trees and in an azalea bush. That's the nature of the beast. And I think the M.O., that we got to learn about Bryson if you really want to figure it out. He's going to be very, very good and very successful when fairways are very difficult to hit and the rough is very difficult, like when he did it, you know, at the U.S. Open. When no one's hitting fairways, if he's closer to the green, he is really strong and really steep and he can get out of the rough. And he's a good chipper and putter, you know. Is he the best chipper and putter? No, but he's a very good one. So, but when fairways don't matter that much like they didn't matter that much here you had to kind of judge it you could make pars in tough conditions out of that first cut really doesn't matter that length doesn't help you if you're not at least in that first cut if you're playing from the pine straw and even deeper than that it's not going to do you any good it really isn't going to help you and when he was in the fairway with bomb drives he wasn't hitting wedges close to the hole so he wasn't taking advantage of those when pars were good that's great but guys are making birdies from the fairways when they're playing, you know, the golf course and at, at times when the course was gettable. So that's that's Bryson's situation that he's going to be dealing with until he becomes a better wedge player and really takes advantage of the long distance that he's hitting. Otherwise, it's all about strength and gouging out of the rough. You know, he's going to beat everybody if he's got a wedge and the other guy's got a eight iron through a six iron in the bag. Dennis Paulson, as we wrap it up. Dennis, you played on tour. So I got to ask you your global perspective on Matsuyama winning for Japan, because I always thought that that was a vibrant, incredible golf community and part of the world to begin with. Everybody's acting like this is going to send it into the stratosphere. Do you agree? Was it already there and it's pretty big, but this is just such a big game changer of all the kids now that have a hero who won the green jacket in the Far East and are going to get into the sport? Beyond game changer, I think. I mean... Wow. Uh, I, you know, 1985, I won, you know, that long drive thing that you see now. It wasn't nearly as big as it is now, but I won that. And uh, I signed with Callaway, and I went over to Japan to do an outing. And we did a thing at Shiba Driving Range, which is a place in downtown Tokyo. It's, a you know, a caged driving range, and I did a little exhibition there. And they said, why don't you go to the, you know, we're going to do something over in this, in this uh, shopping center. And basically, I went to a mall. And I hit balls in a net. And I figured, you know, a few people would show up and sign some autographs. There's like 2,000 people in line for my autograph. I'm going, what the hell is this all about? I mean, it, it blew my mind. I was like a rock star instantaneously. And, 
you know, the long blonde hair. The girls wanted to touch her hair. And I was just like, it was really strange. They love golf, absolutely love golf. Um, I think they're probably the most passionate nation in the world for golf. And I'm not taking anything away of Scotland or Ireland or anywhere else on the planet, but they truly love it. And the biggest thing is, is that there's only one tournament that is the most important tournament in Japan to win. And they cherish more than anything because they're a traditional people. And what is the title of, you know, the masters, a tradition like no other, right? That's what they've always said. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is the biggest, most high held event in the world. And for him to win that tournament, it's crazy. I've heard rumors that it's worth a billion dollars to him, a billion dollars to win that masters in Japan. That's going to be insane for him. Um, But, with all that notoriety and all that fame and all that money, what is he going to become? Is he going to become one of the top, you know, five players in the world back where he was, or is he just kind of got to ride off into the sunset? That's what we don't know. But, you know, 10 years removed from being the guy who was the low amateur in the event. And now this is pretty special. And uh, I'm really happy for him. He's such a nice guy. And, you know, Bob Turner, his translator is a super good human being. Um, and it's just, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. It really is because this is, is he played for a nation, you know, and he got it done. Mm-hmm. That's heady stuff. That's really heady. It stuff. is huge. Hey, hey, lastly, I was just in San Diego over the weekend and I was there for the Padres no hitter. And you mentioned the Padres earlier. Mm-hmm. I wish it would have happened at Petco instead of on the road in Arlington, but my phone was blowing up and I'm not even a Padre fan. I lived there for years. You must have been talking with friends about that no-hitter and what it means to that community. Finally, the Padres got their no-hitter, and they're done with that. Awesome. So cool. You know, I got my kid playing minor league baseball. He got traded from the Dodgers to Tampa. Um, and, you know, he, he's, like, been a Padre fan. He, we, he was born here in San Diego. Um, my youngest son and my wife and I were watching it live, and we were yelling and screaming and high-fiving and hugging, and it was awesome. And, you know, I grew up a Dodger fan, and I went over to a buddy's house yesterday to uh, watch the Masters over there with him and some of his buddies. And he's a huge Dodger guy. I grew up right in La Cunata. And uh, every single time we brought it up is, you know, how about Joe? And, you know, he's saying, F Joe, F Joe. You know, <laughs> he was so irritated, but he was really happy because he lived here in San Diego now. And, and uh, it really is special. I mean, now everybody's got one, right? Isn't that right? Weren't, they, weren't we the last? Everyone's got one. The Padres are off the snide, as we like to say. Yes, yes, yes. So, and it couldn't, you know, it really couldn't be a better story. Him growing up here in San Diego, and mm-hmm. what's really interesting is my youngest son's favorite team is Pittsburgh. And when they lost him, he goes, "Well, they lost a good one," and I'm pretty happy because he he loves the Pittsburgh Pirates, but he's still a diehard Padre fan. And and now that you know a local boy actually got it done, it's pretty special. Thanks, Dennis. Big weekend. Thanks for recapping it with us. You got it, man. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for coming on, Dennis Paulson. And you can check out his show on PGA Tour Radio, brought to you by Sam and Ash, our personal injury attorneys who care about their clients getting better settlements. Sam and Ash are original partners of ours on Raider Nation Radio, and I trust them and continue to be impressed by their passion for their clients. They're the ones I trust. Call them at 702-820-1234 or visit them at SalmonAshLaw.com.
Marshall finds the loose puck. Got it to Nozick. He shoots. He scores. Tomas Nozick. One nothing Knights. 9:22 to go in the third period. That's all they needed. What a win. Take them. Flower, of course. Welcome back, JT. We talked Golden Knights, and there was a three-way. Golden Knights, Chicago Blackhawks, and the Sharks. The Knights get Matthias Janmark, also defenseman Nick DeSimone, uh, one of my hockey insiders that I texted about the deal, uh, just got back to me and liked it. He said third-line center wing, good speed, 15-20 to 20 goal scorer, not great defensively. Talking Head said this enables Las Vegas to put Nosek back on the fourth line. Look, I don't know exactly why the mindset was the Vegas goal, the Knights, that they had to get better on offense. As I told you, they have pretty much all you need. All you need to win a cup when it comes to offensive production and guys who are supposed to get it done. But every year, this team deals with streaky players, and they want to get better at the trade deadline. They want to get a little bit better after they evaluate this team. So Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee, obviously Peter DeBoer, the head coach, think that this team needs a lift. So they were able to give up some draft picks down the road to try to get better and win the cup. Look, this is a major, major priority for the city of Las Vegas, okay? I'm, and I'm, I'm a big Kevin Kruger guy, but I'd much rather spend extra time on this show, which is Raiders and Golden Knights, on something like this than UNLV which hasn't done anything, anything remotely to get quality time on this show. I don't care if it's basketball or football, and I want both those programs to do well. But the Vegas Golden Knights and a Stanley Cup run this year is about as big of a story in all of Las Vegas other than opening Allegiant Stadium in front of fans for the NFL. That's always going to be on the top of the list. But Vegas and the Stanley Cup opportunity is a big one. Uh, Thanks to Bobby who put the show together as always. Coming off his birthday weekend, big shows the rest of the week. We'll have draft insiders every day for over two weeks leading up to our broadcast from Allegiant Stadium. And that's what we do here. Thanks to all of our partners. And we welcome a brand new one later this week in Modelo. And a beer sponsor for me, that's a hell of a fit. Looking forward to that one. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.